dig it! In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin, and the ball is free! to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. And a very good Monday to you. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. And uh, from a betting perspective, hope you cast some tickets. We're hitting it for you. Nonstop Sports Talk, the T.C. Martin Show. Today expanding to two hours. That's right. Two to 4 p.m. from now on. Yours truly, Ballpark Frank in the house. What is going on, my man? Well, you know, just got uh, done with another big weekend and uh, watched a lot of sports. Went over to a friend's house and watched the uh, UFC event, watched some boxing matches, watched a lot of college football. Then yesterday, watched a lot of NFL. So, uh, you know, I wish there was more sports going on. I wish there was NBA and hockey like there should be right now. But uh, it, it, was, it was a full weekend. And uh, now, are we officially into the holiday season just because it's November? Or do we got to wait till right before Thanksgiving? Okay, I listen, never really know I, that I, stuff. I will not tolerate anyone or any station that starts playing holiday music November 1st. I didn't say 1st. that. I didn't say but that. But it happens, as you know. Oh, I know. That's a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. That's a terrible Tuesday right well, there. And don't we have another, like, a Veterans Day or something like that is coming up here, too, this week or something? So <laughs> That would be a Veterans Day, yeah. Something, yes. What, what is that like? Something like a Veterans Day, yes. Well, I mean, I know there's Veterans yeah. Day, there's Memorial Day, there's Arbor, there's, there's a lot of those different right. days like that. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so glad to have everyone with us. Yes, two hours is the show now from 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, a long time coming, so very glad that uh, you are joining us uh, for Nonstop Sports Talk the next two hours every Monday through Friday, of course, in studio Monday through Thursday. And Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, our Friday home. So, uh, again, glad to have everyone with us as listeners. Glad to have you on board, uh, Frank, as well, too. Numchuck on the other side of the glass. The Quake as well. So looking forward to uh, our, our two hours of, like I say, nonstop sports talk. And, and really, we're leaving stuff on the table every day. So uh, we're, 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 nothing's going to be changing. Same great show. Same great guests. And today we got uh, plenty of... Uh, of our regulars that are on board with us today. Trevor Maddich will be joining us uh, a little bit later on in this hour. And Trevor, of course, with ESPN, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. We'll be talking some college football and a little NFL with Trevor. Next hour, Steve Berline joins us from CBS. And, of course, the former Raider quarterback and the Panther quarterback and the pride of the Fighting Irish in Notre Dame. Always love having Steve Berline on. And our good friend Willie Ramirez from the Associated Press will join us. So a jam-packed Monday quarterback edition of the program today. And again, uh, every day now till 4 o'clock. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of stuff to get to today. A lot of stuff all week. Uh, you mentioned the Cosmo on Friday. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but looking forward to that because I think our friend Double B is going to be in his element there. Is it also also be Breeders' Cup weekend, so I know he's going to be huge for that and come on down and join us that day because Breeders' Cup races will be starting. Remember, it's Friday and Saturday. Uh, they started doing that uh, quite a few years ago now, so the, the best horses in the world will be here in the United States, and you can go on and check that out. Uh, you know, all the football like you mentioned and different things. And uh, like, uh, you know, the fight game and everything else out there. And I wanted to get your thoughts, too, because uh, I know that at the UNLV game, uh, we had something different that we haven't had in Raider games. And that is that there was a smattering of fans. Yeah, there was. You know, went to the game on Saturday night and it it was very 
different. It was strange. It was weird to just see a smattering of fans out there. A uh, total of about 2,000 UNLV fans. It looked like most of them were players, parents, and relatives, and that sort of thing, uh, along with boosters. So you could see that. There was probably, I want to say, just as many people in the suite area as there were throughout the, the lower concourse. So, so the suites and the seats were about equal. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so the upper deck, to, upper deck totally empty, mezzanine empty, but the lower deck uh, had a, like you said, that's a good word, smattering of fans. And uh, it still had a, a, a weird feel outside. You can see people just kind of mulling around. I went about probably 45 minutes before kickoff. And it was uh, still eerily quiet. And then when you go in, you know, they got the music going. The teams are on the field warming up. And uh, first sight of that turf in that field was was good. And uh, I went back. I think I recorded it. And so I watched a little bit just to see how it played on TV. But in person, very bright, very vivid. They have the natural turf, the AstroTurf, where the Raiders actually are playing on the grass. Right. You know, like what they do in Arizona where they, you know, wheel it in, so to speak. But uh, they, they got the turf on there. It, w- it was just kind of weird, though, because UNLV wanted to do this big thing. And I understand that. This is your first game in the stadium. As we know, going way back when, Sam Boyd has been antiquated for such a long time. And fans have really wanted a new stadium. And then when the news came that the Raiders were going to come, the big question was, was UNLV going to be involved? And the big news was, and you know, Governor Sislak, we talked about this, is that, you know, yes, this is going to be UNLV's home as well. Well, when the Raiders actually came in and took over, I kind of, I don't know about you, but I I just had that feeling that UNLV got kicked to the curb a little bit. And remember the story that came out that, you know, the Raiders said, hey, this is a business and we're going to have to charge UNLV. And they were set to charge them $1 million per home game. Now, no one has talked about what is happening now with COVID, with the limited number of fans or virtually no fans. So obviously UNLV really cannot afford to pay that rent you know, to the Raiders. But uh, it's for Saturday night, it did seem like a home game for UNLV. It was, but it just doesn't, I don't think it's living up to the hype which Rebel fans thought that it would be, like it would be equal Raiders slash UNLV. No, I, I don't think so either, and, and, and I think that anybody that actually thought that that was going to be the case was probably being unrealistic, because like you mentioned, the NFL's here now. They built the stadium because the NFL's here. UNLV's been in town for all these years. They didn't need a bigger stadium. As a matter of fact, some people thought that sometimes Sam Boyd was oh, yeah. more than big enough for them unless they were playing a marquee team where a lot of people traveled in. So the stadium was not built for UNLV, so I don't know how you could realistically think that there would be equal footing in that. Yeah, that would be a nice thing to say, and it might be the politically correct thing to say, but we all know that wasn't the case. But, yeah, you mentioned that the ambiance and everything wasn't there. Well, how can it be? There's 2,000 fans. They're, they're spread out throughout a gigantic 65,000-seat stadium. You don't have all the the tailgating and other things that you have as part of a college football experience. Uh, If there's anything sad about this to me, besides the fact that only 2,000 fans could experience this, it's also your rivalry game. It's against Nevada, 
and very few people got to see it. And then for UNLV backers, it also wasn't a very good game for them necessarily. The result wasn't what they were looking for. They had to watch the red cannon uh, get ready to be taken away, and it will be painted blue here soon. So, you know, in all those respects, it didn't come out to what they wanted to. I'm also curious to know, and, and you mentioned the boosters and parents of the kids and that, and you would expect them, and season ticket holders and boosters should get the first chance because they're the ones that are putting out the money and ponying it up for the entire season. But I would be wondering, and I don't even know if they would answer this honestly, kind of like a lot of people when they get a political poll call or something like that, do they give? But that's a whole different topic. But um, That would be spam risk on my phone. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, it, oh, it, 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 all over, over the place. I get emails and stuff <laughs> right. from them all the time. But what I'm saying is I wonder how many people went there because they wanted to see UNLV against Reno, which is a marquee matchup certainly in their thing, and how many people went – if not equally or more so, to see the stadium. Yeah, I think more so. And we had talked about this before we knew we were going to have this pandemic, that you know that uh, season ticket sales were up, and they gave season ticket holders a break to, to, to come to the games. And there were people that were not going to be able to afford Raider tickets. And just even the availability to get Raider tickets, because you're dealing with the personal seat licenses, which you know are going anywhere from you know five thousand to twenty thousand per seat, and then so, that right there shows you that it couldn't be equal footing with the NFL well, and you. When, when, when I say equal footing, obviously I don't mean it in the sense where you're going to have the same capacity, you're going to have the same number of people. But remember, it was supposed to be viewed as we are building the stadium. That's what I'm talking about. They were building the stadium. The guys, that was the rhetoric we heard for Raiders. And UNLV. This is just as much part of the UNLV community, the UNLV football team, their home field, as much as the Raiders. They were talking about signage. There better be equal signage. Not what the Jets and the Giants do. They share at MetLife Stadium where just on that game day, it's blue when the Giants are playing, and then it's green when the uh, Jets are playing. They wanted this year-round where you saw enough silver and black to equal you know, the... The scarlet and gray. That's that's what I guess what I was talking about, that it was supposed to be an equal shared stadium. Because remember, in the beginning, people were saying, well, it's going to be called Raider Stadium before they got uh, the sponsorship from Allegiant Airlines. And they said, okay, well, that took that off the table now, and that's good because can you imagine that? Well, UNLV is going to play its home games in Raider Stadium. And over time, it became a big power play from the Raiders, and it really upset a lot of UNLV uh, boosters and fans and people on campus there that they were going to be basically given the short end because when this agreement came into place, it was supposed to be a 50-50 deal. No, and I understand, and, and I understand that, that you're saying that, and I agree with you, but I'm saying the people that actually really thought it was going to be that, that's like putting a UFC event together and saying we have a co-main event. John Jones is the main event, or Conor McGregor. Well, I don't care what the co is. It's not really a co-main event. There's the main event, and then there's the other fights on the card. Sure. It might be part of the, the, the TV deal or whatever, but there's the one main event. Use, in boxing, they usually don't even say a co-main event. <laughs> this is the event, and then all the other, you know, and then promoters get their fighters on and that kind of stuff. The UFC has always tried to do it different, and they kind of try to make it sound like that, but I, I don't know about you, but I never got the impression that it was really going to be what they were trying to sell it is or pitch it is to try to appease the UNLV fans and the state and the Fana and Carson City and everybody else to get all the allotment, to get the city, to get the funding and everything for the stadium. 
I, from the very beginning, always assume this is political double talk to get their stuff done. We're going to say the right things. I don't think they ever intended it to be anywhere near equal. The NFL is coming to town. We're building a stadium for an NFL team. When we heard about UNLV, then we heard about concerts. And, oh, well, we could have World Cup soccer games here. We could have basketball tournaments here. We could have a big bowl game. We could have this. Yeah, everything else sounds good. And then there was even talk when if the Raiders weren't going to come, well, we're going to build it anyhow. Were they really? Or would it have been with the same zeal and everything else? And would it have all gone through and passed? They built the stadium because the NFL was coming here. That, to me, was the be-all, do-all, end-all, end-of-story type thing. Everything else they threw in was fluff to try to make it sound like they were appeasing everybody. I don't think they ever actually intended that. I could be wrong, but I highly doubt it. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, for me, it's the the perspective from the Raiders, what the Raiders gave us, and through, you know, Steve Sisolak, where they said, hey, you know, this is going to be UNLV's home stadium as well. And UNLV bought that hook, line, and sinker, but... That was never negotiated in the very, very beginning that, that I know of, that they said, hey, you know, we're going to let you play in the stadium. It's going to be great. But right. now we're going to charge you. And how much are you going to charge us? Oh, a million dollars? Wait a minute now. So that's where this thing, we, you're not making us feel like a partner. You're making us feel like a tenant. And I think that's where it rubs people the wrong way. And even it rubs me the wrong way. It does. Because bottom line is, I mean, do you think that the old San Diego Chargers were charging San Diego State, you know? Uh, that kind of rent to play in their stadium uh, five to six times. Qualcomm. Exactly. (laughs) You know, to play five or six times a year. And when it really took a turn for the worse is when the second game of the season came about and they go, Raiders said, oh, sorry, we're not going to let you play here. You're going to have to go back to Sam Boyd Stadium. After we went through the whole pomp and circumstance last year, this is the last game at Sam Boyd. And, you know, they did the whole, you know, theatrics for that. And then all of a sudden, whoa, we got egg on our face. Now we got to, you know, play this, uh, you know, whoever it was, Southwest Louisiana, somebody like that was going to be in the second game of the season. Well, sorry, you can't play in the stadium. You, you got to go back to Sam Boyd. So that should have never taken place. That's just bad PR. And that's, that's where I'm coming from with that. Because in the beginning, you said, hey, we know this is going to be the Raiders stadium. That's fine. But there's no reason, especially when you look at the schedule, pretty much it's lined up where the Raiders, when the Raiders are out of town, UNLV is going to have a game that weekend. Or if you do have uh, you know, the same weekend, you still can play on a Saturday and a Sunday. And heck, you can play on a Friday like we're seeing UNLV play the day after Thanksgiving and the Raiders play a couple days later on the Sunday. You, you've got time to do it. The only thing you have to do is take out, you know, pull in the grass, pull off the turf, and that's about it. You're not doing any other signage. Everything else is electronic. You know, you're putting, you know, just you're typing in the UNLV black, red, and scarlet on the scoreboard in, in, instead. So, and you know what was weird too, seeing the game on Saturday night is they brought in pyrotechnics, and I felt bad because, man, you're spending money on this because pyrotechnics are not cheap. And again, I've always had a thing about pyrotechnics in an indoor stadium. Well, the and, basketball team does it at Thomas and Mack. You know they're going to do it for the football. I know but, it's part of their thing. It's part of their shtick. I can't imagine UNLV without uh, using pyrotechnics. But for basketball, as you know, going back to the Tark days, and even, that was all part of the show. Football, we really haven't seen much of that. But here's what they did. They, it was just weird looking because they took out the seats behind one of the end zones. And, and then we had nothing but cement. And you had these chairs, like folding chairs. I don't know who was sitting there. There was probably about 40 to 50 people sitting there. I don't know if they were parents or boosters or whatever. I don't get it. 
And then they had the pyrotechnic, like, shooters back there. And then it's halftime. Everyone's inside. It's quiet as can be. And I feel sorry for, you know, our guy Chet Buchanan because sitting there, are you ready for some pyrotechnics? Make some noise. And people are... Yeah, it was the crickets. I mean, it was like the crickets they're... without buddy. Howard. Exactly. Thank you. In the garage there, um, unbelievable. And then it was weak. I mean, it was just you know a couple. It looked like a couple piccolo pizzas in front of your house on Fourth of July. I mean, that's what it looked like. There was really nothing there, and they cleared all this out, and it just was. It was weird. It was awkward. And I'm just curious: is this going to be part of every home game, or was this just the home opener because it was Reno? But I don't understand why they took out the the seats there behind the end zone, and you know then they they had the other ones, but you know you had a, a big gap for like about forty yards. Were you up in the media going, "Hey, Devon, get a chair, get a chair"? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but but no, it was weird, man. Well, and and again, you know, hopefully they will hear your feedback and maybe get feedback from other people on that, and they will make adjustments, even if they did plan on doing that every game, that they will kind of alter things and change them a little bit to make them better or whatever. I mean, it was just one game. It's the first game. They probably wanted to do something big and whatever. Not everything you do, you know, yeah. is a home run. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen the Golden Knights change up things with the, with their pregame stuff. I'm sure the Raiders will change, the, you know, this is good, this isn't so good, this worked, this didn't work or whatever. You can always alter the stuff like that. It was the first game. It was nice to see him play in there. But, yeah, but but I, I agree with you. I mean, there's certainly a hollow feeling in that. But um, and, and even when you mentioned, like, you thought it was bad PR in that, I'm not really sure that they were cared. Once they got the funding and they knew the stadium was going to be built, do you really care about PR early on or do you figure – all right, all that stuff is going to be completely forgotten once the stadium gets up and running and we start showing our product and everything else like that. Because I get the feeling that once you build it, they will come has been their motif ever since they first built it. Now what they forgot was there's an asterisk. Once they build it and COVID is over, they will come when allowed to yeah. come. And fans are allowed in and fans can spend some money and then you know you have some gate revenue to offset that that price tag now so I mean, again just not not a good look for the raiders to come in and say hey you know you're now playing in our stadium and we're going to charge you this exorbitant amount of money and especially now with with no fans and no way to recoup this and we see you know you brought it up last week about these athletic budgets i mean you mentioned lsu 80 basketball. million dollars are losing yes with football or basketball and the basketball coach are, uh, have both agreed to well probably agreed to or they were going to say either agree to this or you're gone or something right but yeah they're taking now i don't know how big a pay cuts they're going to take but i know there's a lot of places out there that have taken you know that that, that they've Taken up to fifty percent pay cuts. I know some coaches or like ads and stuff at some schools have agreed to do the job for free and just completely get rid of their salary. I think there's usually state laws in that, especially if it's a state funded school where they can't. So there's some kind of minimum salary in that. But there's a lot of people out there now. Again, if you're a coach that's making ten million dollars a year, okay, you make a pay cut. You're still making way more than the average person out there. But it's still you're used to that lifestyle and everything too. But yeah, I mean, these are hard times, and you think about that. If a school like LSU is losing $80 million, what is a school like UNLV potentially yeah. losing this year to keep all the programs yeah. afloat and to keep everything going and to try to keep scholarships and everything else out there? There's a lot of things that are going on right now. And for everybody that thinks this COVID stuff is over, we have four NFL teams right now that have at least in some kind of respect COVID. We see Wisconsin's still ranked 10th in the standings that just came out. Uh, late last night or earlier this morning, we don't even know when they're going to be able to play football again. 
We know that their starting quarterback and third-string quarterback are out for at least the next two weeks after this because it's 21 days there. And who knows what the next school to have a breakout and everything is. I mean, these are strange times. And anybody that says, like, I don't know how you make a future bet on anything right now. (laughs) Because one COVID outbreak and all of a sudden you're done. Or a potential injury outbreak like the 49ers, which I know we're going to get into. There's so much stuff going on right now. I'm enjoying the sports that we have. And I hold my breath and cross my fingers that we don't have more outbreaks and other things getting canceled right. all the time because you never know. I know. I, I'm curious if anyone was at the UNLV game last night, or even if you watched it on TV, how it portrayed. Uh, love to hear from you. Give us a quick call if you want at uh, 702-221-7283, 221-7283. If you went to the UNLV game, you're a fan, you're a booster. If you were in the stadium for the very first time, what was it like for you You know, being in there? Uh, very curious. And I heard people who watched the game on television. I watched was, a lot of it. Okay, did you? So. I had heard some reports that uh, on wasn't just that game, but the earlier game that was on Fox Sports One, that they went a little nuts with the with the crowd, and uh, I guess it was the Boise State, whoever Boise State was playing, like it was those Wyoming Air Force. Air, Air Force. There we go. Where they said, okay, there must be. Uh, I think our, our girl Jackie Kostak uh, from Channel Thirteen said someone must have uh, 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 you know hit the wrong button or something because. There must be 110,000 people in the stadium, or they actually are, are portraying that because it, it, it sounded totally ridiculous on that. And this is what you get when you're piping in this fake crowd noise. We've seen it with the NFL, and I think the NFL with Fox and CBS, they've maybe gotten it a little bit better than we first started this when, from opening day. But for the most part, I mean, you got to be careful on which, on you know, how much crowd you're going to pump into this because again, if you know, you're you know, you're the wrong team is scoring or something like that, or there's a penalty flag, and it just, it's it seems weird. And I think maybe over time, our ears and our eyes have kind of gotten used to this watching on TV. But um, you know, for some of these you know college networks, they haven't got it right yet. Well, it's not only just the college networks and that either. Remember in the pros, we heard that uh, you know they're in an Eagles game a, a, a couple weeks ago when they were having the booze and that kind of stuff right. come down from the crowds yep. and that. So a, a lot of these people, I think, they're getting that creative license, going, okay, well now I'm going to make this you know mirage and make it seem I'm going to add the atmosphere and everything. But every stadium's not going to sound like Death Valley or the Big House or the Horseshoe or something like that. It's like, yeah, I mean, and, and you're right, they do go, they get overzealous and they try to make everything sound like it's a sold out hundred thousand seat stadium. One of my fears about this is going forward, when we have these bowl games and bowl season that are up in places where there's nobody in the crowd at all, are they just going to go, well, you know, we know how to pump in the – Are they just, is this going to be the new norm for that kind of stuff for mm-hmm. empty stadiums all over the place? I certainly hope not, but I'm not so sure it's not going to be because now that they've got a taste of it and somebody has a little magic button and they spent money on this machine, I think we might keep on seeing this all the time, and I just – it kind of makes me shudder a little bit. It kind of makes me want to mute the TV, to be honest with you. Yeah, And and I'll tell you what I was really bummed about is like they had cheerleaders and stuff there, but the band wasn't there Saturday night for UNLV. Why can't you invite the band? Seriously, invite the band, have the band be there. They've been waiting just as much as everybody else to come to a game, and now you have the opportunity. What is the harm on having the band come? Because I've noticed some colleges, they have their bands there. Why didn't UNLV have it? They missed a boat here. Well, the only thing I can say, and I do not know this for a fact, 
it might have gone against what the governor said the capacity in the crowd was. If you would have had the whole band there, you might have that many fewer fans in there. Like, I don't want a lot of people when these restaurants go in there, it's 50% capacity in that. And they think, okay, well, 50% of the people, no. Your cooks, your waitresses, all that, that all start, counts as part of the people in a place. So if they would have had the whole band there, that might have meant that it wouldn't have been 2,000 people. Isn't Maybe crazy? it would have been. There's 100 people in the band, if, if Max. We've had, you know, Quake, the former tuba player himself, the, the UNLV alum, the Rebel alum there. That's it. I'd love to see Quake dot the I if he was at Ohio State. That would have been great. But the bottom line is. Come, you got room. You can do this. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm. We're just, spread out. Sixty-five thousand. Put the band in there. Other was, universities are doing it. I was just trying to find know, the I one know. scenario that maybe I it could. It doesn't make sense to me right? either. I, I think the band should be, be there. part of it. I saw cheerleaders. I saw them. They were there. The cheerleaders were in the stands. How crazy was that? They were behind the goalposts, all spread out. Put the band. They could spread out. And why? Why couldn't the band still perform? Get them out there at halftime. Nothing happened out there. Maybe they in the middle of the field, nothing was going on. Maybe they could have sat on the folding chairs on the concrete where they took the other seats <laughs> out. I don't know. That's it. Uh, I don't know. All right, but it, it was it was nice. But so overall grade then, because I've heard a lot. I mean, it's kind of okay. like you're, you're like the stock market here. There's ups and downs and ups overall and downs. grade of the experience. Yes, of the whole presentation of the game of the night of everything else out there that you saw. UNLV did the best they possibly could do, but without the fan and without the fans and without the band and with not a product that you can really be proud of. And the fireworks. And yeah, the fireworks were were dismal to say. So they didn't know. do the best that they, they could do. Yeah. Well they made an effort. They made an effort. I would say A for be, A A for effort, I'm, C for execution. Yeah, I'm gonna give them a B minus. I you know because the turf looked good, the presentation was good, that was fine, but uh oh overall but you had to expect this going into it that it was going to be like this and uh so i don't know probably not even fair to give him a grade really it's probably not even fair it doesn't matter if it's fair or not i mean you're not this, even playing with a full deck well you want to give him a part- playing with 52 cards you want, it's 2020 you want to give him a participation trophy yeah, Bosio, i want great go That's i want I somebody do. to actually have something to monitor how they've done and what i gained out of that was if you're going to unlv and dr tc martin is teaching a class uh-huh. take it because he's got a pretty easy curve there you go <laughs> <laughs> All right, when we come back, we'll talk to Trevor Maddich. He joins us a little bit later on. Steve Berline, Willie Ramirez, we're rocking and rolling here. Two hours of nonstop sports talk, the T.C. Martin Show. We talked to Trevor Maddich, and we talk about college football. Yes, the ESPN college football analyst hit some NFL as well. A lot to do. Monday afternoon quarterback edition right here. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane. I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right, glad to have you with us on a Monday recapping what we saw over the weekend, college side, NFL side, and our good friend Trevor Maddich, that's right, snapping it at us, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, with ESPN joins us right now. Trev, what is going on, my friend? How are those knees? How's those back? Are you ready to go? I am ready to go. I have got a Band-Aid on everything that hurts, which means I look like a mummy of Band-Aids, but I am ready. You are always ready, my friend. Great. Appreciate uh, you joining us here. All right, Trevor. So we uh, let's start with some college football. Trevor Lawrence tested positive last week. Uh, some quick thoughts on that. Obviously, college football's biggest star and I think a lot of people, including myself, 
felt like, okay, I know Boston College is pretty decent. They came into this game four and two. And I know that, that Clemson had a really good freshman quarterback. And I don't think he was really to blame. But I did not expect to see BC jump out to a 28-10 to lead on Clemson's right. home field. Uh, but then things got uh, straightened out, squared away. And uh, BC did not score in the second half. But still, too close for comfort, my friend. A, you know, a 34-28 game and, and Clemson wins. And, and people here in Vegas, they did not cover that big number. Well, to put that in perspective, uh, TC, that was the largest comeback, home comeback, in Clemson football history. So they, they had never fallen behind that far and come back to win the game ever. And you're right that the freshman quarterback, T, uh, DJ Uyunglele, he was not to blame. And that's kind of weird because I think a lot of people that looked at that halftime score and, and saw that BC looked like they were running him out of their own building, that it was the freshman quarterback throwing picks, not being able to do anything. But actually, it was the other way around. It was the defense and the running game that dug them that big hole. And that's the opposite of what I expect, expected. I, I thought that coming into that game that the freshman quarterback could not win that game. But he couldn't lose it. It would be the defense and the running game that would win it. Well, the opposite happened where the only truly stable factor for Clemson over all four quarters was the freshman quarterback, Uyunglele. And so it's a bit disturbing going into the Notre Dame game that the running game didn't work for a half, and the defense got gouged by the B.C. passing game. Now, B.C. has a good quarterback in Phil Dracovic, and they've got a couple of really good fast-wide receivers. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's to be expected that there'll be a threat, but there were too many plays where the secondary of Clemson was in position to make a play on a big play, sometimes touchdowns in position right there with their leg in the receiver's pants that close. And when the ball came down, they didn't make the play. And it just happened a lot. And so that's, that's a bit concerning for Clemson fans heading into this Notre Dame game. Now, they, um, they turned it around. They clamped down. They became the Clemson defense that we expected in the second half. But that was a bit of a hole that, or in a weak spot that, that was not expected. And so we'll see what happens when they get to South Bend. So how much did you practice saying the uh, DJ's last name? Because, you know, I'm staying away from it totally. I mean, it seems like you got it down. And did you spend more time with uh, practicing his name or Tua's uh, a couple of years ago? Well, the good thing about Tua is that, is that Tua became Tua. So <laughs> right, he never exactly. had to say his last name, right? <laughs> and uh, and D, I thought he was going to be DJ to everybody, but everybody's saying Uyunglele. Okay. Uyunglele. So, Uyunglele. So think of Uyunglele yeah, and Adelaide. Yeah. Adelaide. Yeah, you were a lay short. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's, let's, I got let's, Adelaide let's bird on my together. mind. <laughs> let's all break this down into, into, into pieces, okay? So let's all do it together. All right, here we so go. Say Uyunglele. 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 Now add a lay on the end of that. Uyunglele. Uyunglele. Yeah. Uyunglele. Layla, where's Layla? Play me some Layla right now. I need some Layla, Trevor Madge. Let's go here and climb to Derek and the Dominoes. That's what I'm talking about here. Ladies and gentlemen, here we're going two hours today. Forget the sports. We're going to go back in the past. We're going to the 70s. Here's Derek and the Dominoes. Oh, yeah. What was a great movie this was in? Uh, Goodfellas. There you go, Trevor. One of your favorite scenes yeah. in the trunk. By, by the way, the hey, next you know time what? you see Adelaide Bird, you're going to call her Adelaide. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, 
And Uwe Angalele had BC on their knees. <laughs> oh, very nice, Trevor Maddich. Very nice. Yeah, Ring him up. You're welcome for that, there, by the way. Yeah. There, there you go. But by the way, I noticed yeah. that you noticed that Tua just became Tua, but uh, after the way that his uh, little brother played uh, for Maryland, you might have to learn that last name again. That's true. Huh? Yeah, well, Ta- Talia, uh, Tagovailoa, I guess, uh, listen, I-, I figured that the Maryland offense would take a while to get up to speed. They only scored three points against Northwestern in the opener. And then here comes Minnesota and and Talia Tagovailoa, uh, I guess they don't call him Baby Tua anymore because he played like a superstar. I mean, every time that ball was in the air heading downfield to a Maryland receiver, before it even got there, I was thinking, well, that's going to be complete. Right? And how often do you do that? And how much confidence do you have to have in a quarterback? I mean, he was dropping dimes, and when he took off running, he took off running. Well, if you get a chance to watch him play for Maryland this year, notice how absolutely decisive Talia Tango-Vailoa is to his little brother. When he decides to throw, that ball's out. When he decides to run, he does not dither. He is gone. And Minnesota had absolutely no answer. As a matter of fact, you know, Michigan beat Minnesota in, in the Big Ten opener, right? Maryland's offense looked vastly superior to the Wolverine offense against that same defense the next week. Well, I want to talk with you about that, too, because we watched that game where Michigan just destroyed Minnesota on the road, and then Michigan was a 21-and-a-half-point favorite in the big house, or we should say the empty big house. But where did Michigan State come from? Because they looked awful the weekend prior to that. 27-24, Sparty gets the victory here. Trevor, what happened in this game? Well, it looks to me, TC, like a classic, uh, a classic case of Michigan looking at the at the final score of the Michigan State Rutgers game in Week One because Rutgers looked like they crushed them. I mean, Rutgers went into Michigan State's home stadium in East Lansing and beat the Spartans, and Rutgers has trouble scoring on air. At least they did last year, for sure, and they have for a long time. That means you don't even put a defense out there. They're just as likely to trip over the 40-yard line and fall down as they are to actually <laughs> score, right? Well, in this game, they look, you know, but here's what happened. For the Wolverines that didn't bother to, to pay much attention to it and thought that Michigan State is just terrible, what happened was Michigan State gave up seven turnovers, Seven turnovers, and that was the difference in the game. And I know Michigan watched that tape, but I'm sure they did it with a bit of disdain. But when you when you look at the good things Michigan State did, they uh, their defense worked pretty well against Rutgers, and their passing game with Rocky Lombardi. How about that? That's a, a, a name for a linebacker in Notre Dame, but he's playing quarterback in Michigan State. Rocky Lombardi, the quarterback for the Spartans, uh, played pretty well against Rutgers in that opener. All they had to do was not give it up seven times, and they did that. They, they took care of the ball much better against Michigan. And I tell you, that hot seat under Jim Harbaugh, the coach for Michigan right now, just got a lot harder because it's one, hotter. It's one thing to not be able to beat Ohio State since he's been there. He's 0 for Ohio State. And really, last year was the time for Harbaugh to beat Ohio State because last year they were in Ann Arbor, Michigan, to play. The, Ohio State had a new quarterback, a new head coach, Michigan had a returning quarterback, and Michigan still couldn't beat him. Matter of fact, they got run out of their own building last year by the Buckeyes. This year they got to go to Columbus, and it's Ohio State that has a returning head coach plus returning quarterback. So that's tough. But it's, it's one thing to not be able to get by that hurdle of Ohio State. But when you lose at home to your in-state rival, the Spartans, Michigan State, who the week before got run out of their own building by Rutgers, there is no excuse that, hey, nobody beats Ohio State, right? It's really bad. And so if, if the seat wasn't warm before, 
with certain people because they thought, well, hey, he's building it good. I think people that had his back before are now starting to feel the heat a little bit. You talk about Ohio State, and certainly everybody thought that they would be the team to beat in the Big Ten. Uh, the question whether or not anybody could beat them. They got past probably their toughest hurdle in Penn State this weekend. One other team that some people think could be pretty good it was Wisconsin, but what are we going to see Wisconsin? When will we even see them play football again? Because we know that their first string and now their third string quarterback as well both tested for COVID, and in the Big Ten, that's 21 days off. We saw how Clemson looked out of sorts without their starting quarterback. What's Wisconsin going to look like without two of their three top quarterbacks? Yeah, that's a real problem. And, and the thing that you brought up is really important, that the ACC, for example, with Trevor Lawrence, they're using the CDC protocol that you gotta, you got to quarantine for 10 days at least, right? And then, you know, their protocol is if you've shown no symptoms for 24 hours and you test negative, then you can come back and play. And that's the protocol that Trevor Lawrence is a part of right now. The Big Ten has gone much further. Instead of 10 days, in that scenario, it's 21 days. And they only have an eight-week season, Right. And so that, that could be a, a huge problem. Now, uh, what does that mean? Well, their starting quarterback, Jack Cohn, uh, has an injured foot from the preseason, and he will not um, participate for the foreseeable future. So the next guy up that you talked about, Graham Mertz, the backup quarterback, came into the opener and did a fantastic job against Illinois, but then he tested positive, right? Well, then the third-string quarterback, who became the second-string quarterback, is now positive uh, for COVID as well. Those two guys are in the... Uh, protocol, that means it goes down to their fourth-string quarterback as their starter. They're also replacing All-American Jonathan Taylor at running back. They're replacing an All-American center who went off to the NFL and Tyler, Tyler Biotish. But now the, uh, their, their top receiver is gone um, from last year and so just graduated. So Wisconsin right now isn't the same quarterback that we think he might be. The, the, excuse me, not the same team that we thought they were going to be coming into the season and certainly the one after the Illinois game. So you talk about the Big Ten and who might be able to beat Ohio State. I still think Michigan has a chance because Michigan will be a whole lot better team at the end of the season than they are now because they've got a new quarterback, Joe Milton, first-time starter. Four starting offensive linemen from last year's Wolverine team were drafted. So they've got a reworked offensive line. You know, they've got some young, dynamic, but young wide receivers. They've got some new pieces on defense. But they've got some stars in important places. And if Michigan doesn't blow it anymore, they could show up to Columbus in position to beat Ohio State head-to-head and be the representative in the conference championship game in the, in for, uh, from the East Division. And Michigan, are they as good as Ohio State? No. But their defense has the potential to be ultra-salty. And that's where you start if you want to try to keep up with Ohio State. So if, if we're grasping at straws here, trying to find the team that we think might be a challenge to them right now uh, in the conference, if it's not Rutgers, <clears throat> it's got to be Michigan. <laughs> he is Trevor Maddich, college football analyst for ESPN. Does a fantastic job. Always great to have him with us. Trevor Pac-12 will start this weekend. They are the last conference to come to the party. Big Ten joined us a couple weeks ago. ACC, Big 12, SEC, they've been with us for quite some time. Mount West joined us two weeks ago, but now the Pac-12. What do we expect to see from the Pac-12? Because I think for a lot of college football fans, there there's no anticipation here. There's no hype here, and 
at least with the Big Ten, people were saying, well, let's see what Ohio State's all about because we saw them ranked in the top four, top five before they even played a game. There's always Oregon there, but what are you hearing is out there in the Pac-12? Well, Pac-12 super enigma, right? They've got a six-game regular season, and then everybody else will play a seventh game uh, on conference championship week, and that will include the conference championship game. So that's their max. Uh, so, I mean, they get some, some postponements. They will be cancellations like the Big Ten. If, if COVID steps in, I mean, you could have a Pac-12 chant that ends up playing five games for the season. And I don't know what the committee would think about that necessarily. I kind of have an idea. But uh, ultimately, that's the first thing that's kind of weird about the Pac-12. The, the second thing is, right now, the favorite among a lot of people is Oregon. And they've done a really good job up there of building what amounts to an SEC style of play on the West Coast, where they've got big, powerful offensive and defensive lines. They want to be a power-running team, you know, a big physical team, and that's what they've tried to do. But for this abbreviated season, they're replacing a first-round draft choice at quarterback who's actually playing better with the L.A. Chargers, Justin Herbert, than he played it when he was at Oregon. Uh, and with a, with a freshman, I believe, that's what, that's what we're hearing. Uh, all five offensive linemen are now gone from last year, uh, many of them to the NFL. One of them who opted out, Panay Sewell, will probably be the first offensive lineman taken in the draft, but it's, it's all new. One of their best defensive players, Troy Dye, is out. Um, oh, not out, he's gone, he graduated. And so Oregon is replacing a ton of people, and I don't know that I can say how good they might be because there's too many new parts. Not as many as LSU necessarily, but they'll have a similar problem that LSU has had in that they're replacing a lot of people. So that to me leaves really USC as the, as the clear team to watch for preseason. Now Arizona State will have something to say about that. Even Cal will have something to say about that. But USC returns their quarterback, Keaton Slovis, who I think is a dark horse for the Heisman Trophy. He's got Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Tyler Vons and others at wide receiver that are a terrific stable of pass catchers and a very active defense, especially at linebacker and safety that will take advantage of their new defensive system. They have a new coordinator, um, Todd Orlando. So, so they'll be aggressive on defense. And I'll tell you, in the second year of the air raid offense, when they finally will have figured it out, I think USC is the team to beat in the Pac-12. I expect offensive fireworks and a feast or famine defense that will be a whole lot of fun to watch. Now, that's all pure speculation, but I can't wait to see it because I think that the Pac-12 is one of the most entertaining brands of football in all of college football because of the differences in style of play and the differences in, in school cultures that you have over the course of those 12 teams. They're a lot of fun. You know, you touched on something that I found interesting there, and we certainly have time to get into this more when it gets closer to it, but you mentioned if a team only has like five games because they have some COVID cancellations or other things like that, and what would the committee do? What would bowl games in that do? I know some bowl games aren't playing, but I believe I read the other day that they're still planning on playing 37 bowl games this season, but there's no more, you know, you have to have so many wins, you have to be above 500 in that do you see a scenario down the road here where we see teams with only five or six games played and maybe even a two and four team or something getting a bowl bid simply because it's like, well, these, these guys are going to draw better and we need to do something to get that TV revenue or get something in there because I don't know how fans are going to be and everything like that. But we're going to see an unprecedented bowl season this year. And with literally no requirements, the bowls are literally open to go after whoever they want regardless of record. 
Right, and I think that and, – and keep in mind that you could have a bowl game set up and the th- whole thing could be canceled two days before if a team comes back with the wrong number or a position group being wiped out by COVID. So, you know, if you think you got a bowl on schedule, wait till kickoff before you, you know, before you take a breath. I think that you're right that the Bulls now are not requiring six wins, of course, and they're probably not even requiring any, any win total, most of them, in terms of percentage. And, and that's the right thing for them to do. Because as of now, you can, you can factor in, okay, these are the, these are the, you know, a bowl that has, say, SEC seven against ACC three. You know, that kind of a thing. Bowls will slot in like that. But you can't count on those teams being able to play. So what do you do? You have to have maximum flexibility. The fact that there's a few bowls that have already opted out, including the Holiday Bowl, by the way, in San Diego, that makes me sad. Um, they, uh, that, that makes it less likely that you'll have that two and four team. But you may. Like here's my here's my suggestion. I I think there's very few people that I'm people mean college football fans that um, that are in this category. But if of those who are in the category of thinking that the bowl season is bad because you might have a team that's like three and four make a bowl team that kind, make a bowl game that kind of a thing, get over it. We're thrilled to have college football at all. There was a chance we weren't going to play it, a good chance. And there's still a possibility that the whole season will grind to a halt. And for those who think that a bowl game should be a reward for a team because of a winning record, and if you're 500, if you're 6-6, six and six, you should never be going to a bowl game, that kind of a thing, I get that. But this year, throw it out. Throw it out. Be happy that there's more football. I mean, you've got the Pac-12 with a maximum of seven games including championship week, that they're going to be able to play. And if a team that of those seven games is two and five or three and four, and they get into a bowl game, be happy for the extra game because you don't get that 12-game season anymore. Lighten up. So what, everything that you just said is a real possibility. There's so many unknowns. What I think fans you know, that are inclined to be critical of bowls, it's time for them to step back and let bowls exist, period, and then go back to being critical next year. You're just dying to say lighten up Francis, aren't you? Lighten up Francis. Thank you for reminding <laughs> me of that. You know, I got the, I got the, Layla got, got, got me on my knees, uh, you know, Clemson Francis. reference in, but I forgot about that. We got it, though. We got it. Nunchuck's got it. Francis. So, so you gave yeah, him the stripes, I, kind of, huh? I love it. Do you, do, you have to pay, do you have to pay like a royalty every time you play that movie sound? No, no. We're just, you know. Because if you don't, if you don't, I want to start doing that because that's fun. Yeah. I just would hate to do it and cost some radio station $10,000. Oh, like, good. wait, what? No, we're good. Okay. We're good. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to mess with us, you know. We'll, we'll fight him back. Don't worry about it. He's Trevor Maddich, ladies and gentlemen. Trevor, before we let you go, I do want to touch on LSU. They got beat down again, this time by Auburn. And I think a lot of people thought this was going to be a close game, virtually a pick 'em. The defending champs, I've never seen this. And I want you to go into your memory banks here, okay? Uh, Will Smith, robot lost in space. We'll throw that reference in there. I've never seen this kind of discrepancy from a national champion who was so dominant the previous season to what we're seeing with LSU. Tell us why, what's the future of this program, and give me another you know, school that we've seen something similar to what's happening this year? Well, from a standpoint of the future, the near future anyway, uh, I would say three words. 
Danger Will Robinson. Ah, yes, that's what I'm talking about. And, and by the way, you, right. you, you you said Will Smith. You can you you combine uh, Will Robinson and, and Doctor Smith. Smith. I right. lost One, his face. Two foot on the rope. Okay, <laughs> two count. Doctor Smith, Will Robinson. No, no, it's Will Robinson and Doctor Smith. Exactly. Danger Will Robinson. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what I'm saying. But, that but, is correct. But TC yeah. said Will Smith. He he's thinking of the actor oh. rapper, you know, Fresh Prince dude. Ha, no, I got Will Smith <laughs> in my mind for the Dodger catcher because he was in my my TV for the last three weeks. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. Well, listen. In 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 fairness to to TC, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Very strong. Know. Very strong. Can we do that? Okay, so LSU. So hey, LSU Trevor, is not playing up. I just want to what? see Trevor get jiggy with it one time. That's all. Get oh, Trevor Madge get jiggy with it one time for John Jiggy Maxwell and, and Trevor Maddich, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no one gets jiggy with it like Trevor Madge. On his wedding night, I bet he played this song at, at, uh, at your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can take it away, my friend. I forgot what the question was, but go with it. Yeah, I had something to do with LSU. So LSU, <laughs> who is not getting jiggy, um, whatever that means. I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm not cool enough. But uh, the uh, LSU is not playing up to their, their talent level. They're just not. And their talent level is, has struggled. Coming into the season, I figured that, that the starters would be competitive the backup, the depth would have so little experience because they had 14 guys drafted. They had a bunch of other guys opt out. You know, now they got their starting quarterback injured. And so there's all kinds, there's all kinds of problems, but you would think that they'd at least be competitive because of the level of recruiting that they've had, but they have been abysmal. They can't, can't run the ball at all on defense. They can't do anything at all. And it's interesting that they have a new defensive coordinator in Bo Pelini, the former Nebraska head coach, because Dave Aranda for the last few years, defensive genius, went off to be the head coach at Baylor. So they have to institute a new defensive scheme with almost all new starters and no spring ball, no real summer as we know it, limited preseason preparation, and all of a sudden they come in the opener with, against Mississippi State. And Mississippi State hasn't been able to score. I mean, that, I mean not, not, forget when, they haven't been able to score. But in that opener against LSU, they set an SEC single-game passing record with over 600 yards for K.J. Costello, right? And so this is how bad LSU's defense was. So Ed Orgeron, the head coach, uh, let it be known to Bo Pelini that they were too complicated, that they had to simplify. Well, Auburn shredded them this last week, and, and Coach O was asked in the post-game press conference about that uh, simplification, and he said, you know what, we've already simplified about as much as we can. And so they're down to our guys aren't good enough, and that's where they're at. And so LSU right now does not have that handle, that hook, that an LSU fan could grab onto and think, okay, things are bad now, but I can see because of this, this, and this that we're going to get better. Right now there is no this, this, and this. And LSU right now looks like they're in terrible shape. Keep in mind that Gene Chizik for Auburn won the – um, national championship for Cam, New- Cam Newton. And a couple of years later, they fired him. And I'm not calling for the firing of Coach O. I love Coach O. But I think right now, LSU fans need to start looking down the road and thinking that that's not out of the question if things don't turn around in a hurry. All right, All right brother. We appreciate you joining us. We'll let you get back to it. We'll be watching on ESPN what, Thursday and Friday and hopefully talk to you again next week. Uh, great stuff as always, my man. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. There is Trevor Maddich from ESPN. Great college football analyst. He can go, baby. He can go. Yeah, good stuff there. Yeah, But you really like this song, don't you? No, I don't. (laughs) 
not not even a little. You like this better than Hall and Oates? Um, I I could smash them both if I had them in front of me. I guess. <laughs> All right, hour number one in the books. We're back on the other side. Steve Berline joins us. Willie Ramirez. We talk NFL and a whole lot more. Ballpark Frank in the house. TC Martin show. Nonstop sports talk to the four o'clock hour from now on.